week seven, standing for inheritance. Well, last week, just a little reminder, we saw that King Ahab was making treaties with people he shouldn't have been making treaties with. Last week in the, in the chapter, we saw that God kept giving King Ahab, King Ahab strategies to fight battles. And he was winning them over and over and over. Not because of his ideas, not because of what he thought would take him there, but he was finally listening to what God had to say through the prophets. Well, an issue with that for King Ahab was after win, after win, after win, after win, it kind of got in his head. And he thought to himself, all right, I'm on a roll. I'm doing this thing. I've got this. You ever, you ever known people that they're on a roll and they forget that God put them on the roll? That's kind of King Ahab. He was wicked, but God was merciful to give him strategies. And we find out later that it was all part of the plan because God had already told Elijah to anoint the next king. So God knew that Ahab wasn't going to last, not because um, of anything but his own heart. He had a hardened heart. He just, he did not want anything to do with God. And we see that because after all of these victories, he makes a peace treaty with Benadab. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to make a peace treaty with the enemies. And because of that, God actually says like, hey, you're going to die in Benadab's place. That, you know, it's safe to assume that you don't want to go against God's commands, right? I think it's safe to say that it's dangerous ground to go against any command of God Almighty. In Galatians chapter 5, awkward start to the message in 1 Kings, but in verses 19 through 21, it says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. I, I, I love how straightforward the Bible is. Well, how do I know if I'm following God or not? Well, this is it right here. This is the results of sinful nature, sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. That means anything you put before God or anything you're not willing to give up in the name of God. Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. No one ever had any of those. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is something to inherit as a child of God, not just when we see him one day passing from this earth, but there is something for you to inherit right now so that you can walk out your destiny and your purpose. In order to tap into that inheritance, you cannot be walking in a sinful nature that dominates your life. A few verses later, it says this in 24, 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus, you've nailed your passions and desires of that sinful nature to his cross, and you've crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You don't get to pick and choose. It's I have to follow the Spirit's leading in every single part of my life. We have to surrender and sacrifice our desires for his. Why? We sacrifice our, our desires for his 
that were actually originally our desired passions. It's how you discover what passions are of sin nature and which passions are of your redeemed nature. Because before we were born into sin, we had passions that were good. We had passions that were lined up with the desires that God put in our hearts. But when sin came into the world, we got this mixture of what was passion for God and what was passion that was self-serving. Y'all, we got these passions that were not a part of our original design. And when you have passions that are not part of your original design, you tend to follow the passion's leading instead of the Holy Spirit's leading. That's why he says, let me redeem you, and if you follow me, I will give you the desires of your heart. Because the desires you got now are not going to take you anywhere that I want to take you. But if you'll let me replace your sinful nature desires, even though you think they might be good, if you let me replace those with mine, those desires will help lead you into what I have predestined you to walk into. You see, that's how predestination works with free will. God says, I have predestined a plan for you. Now, you have got to walk that out by following me. And the way you follow me is sacrifice what you want for what I want for you. Because originally, there was never an argument about it. Does it make sense? The danger of not doing so, passions you've adopted, it will keep you from inheriting, Galatians 5 says, the kingdom of God. Inheriting your rights as a citizen of heaven, on earth, and eternal rewards forever. Does this make sense? That's why we've got to get passions and desires in line. Now, Having that in mind about God has an inheritance for you. God has an inheritance for you. He wants you to walk in it. He wants you to see it. He wants you to experience it. With that in mind, we're going to go into this next days of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 21. Okay? Remember, Ahab just made this treaty with Benadab. Why? Because Ahab wanted to make sure his reign was solid. He was winning, and Benadab had like 32 allies and all these armies. And the first thing King Ahab went to was, hey, self-serving, let me make sure that I am protected. I'm going to make a treaty so I'm good. And God said, because you spared that one, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die in Benadab's place, right? So when he got that word from God, Ahab went and did what probably most of us would do if God showed up to your doorstep and said, hey, you're going to die because you didn't listen to me. Ahab, it says he went back to Samaria and he was angry and the Bible says sullen. Sullen basically means he was pouting. Angry and pouting. I mean, I feel like I'd be in, even though King Ahab was, whip, was wicked and, you know, Kyle was perfect, I feel like, I feel like if God said, you're going to die because you didn't listen, I'd be pouting too. Like, well, where's grace in this? I mean, I'm good, blah, 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 right? Speaking in tongues right there. So this is what happens in 1 Kings 21, 1 through 3. There was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. Well, one day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I'd like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. Apparently King Ahab wanted to get on one of those new diets at this point. I'll give you a better vineyard in exchange 
or if you prefer, I'll pay you for it. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance and what is give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. King Ahab made more than a reasonable offer. I'll buy it or I'll give you a better one. Naboth's response to this reasonable offer, he simply said, no way. Heck no. And this was rooted in the belief that the land that was inherited by Naboth was an inheritance from God. And if God gave this to us, there must be a purpose for it. And we are not going to negotiate what God gave us for his purposes. Yet how many times do we trade what God handed to us in our inheritance for, for what we consider reasonable trades and reasonable offers? Y'all ain't never been this quiet. This is, is this just meat you're chewing right now? We make trades. God gives you something valuable. And you say, I'm going to trade it for a reasonable offer. We trade virginity for multiple partners. Okay, now I'm getting some responses. All right, here we go. We trade focus for drunkenness. You don't want to focus on your problem. You want to drink it away. Okay. We trade our ability to praise him for complaint. I can't believe this happened. You got more reasons to praise God than complain about a temporary situation. We trade our ability to live in peace for embracing worry. I will never get that. Why do you love worry? Give it up. Right? And it seems simplistic, and I know what you're thinking. Well, Kyle, you don't know my situation. I don't need to know your situation. Worry ain't of God, and he says, let me give you new desires. Okay? We trade cities for the corrupt. We trade seeking God in churches for how fast a church can grow. <laughs> okay, all right. There, now you're sounding like relentless. We make all these trades for reasonable offers, we think. And that's why I start out with Galatians 5, because God says, you don't need to follow your own desires in this. Because your desires, if they're, not, if they're not lined up with mine, they're going to lead you to making trades and peace treaties with things that you were never meant to make a trade or a treaty with. But if you'll follow my desires, then you'll be more apt to crucifying everything else in pursuit of me. You'll crucify everyone's got needs. Y'all, I got needs. You got physical needs. You got emotional. And God says, don't ever give up on me to meet that. Well, the people of God, I think, need to start taking Naboth's posture of response. When there's a reasonable offer comes, we need to get to the point where we can just say, no way. I'm not trading in my inheritance. You see, there's an honor of authority and there's an honor of governing officials. But if it means trading in what God gave you for a worldly offer, we have to be ready to say no and stand in what God has for us. And people won't like it when you stop trading stuff in for your inheritance. You will lose people. You'll lose friends. You'll lose family. 
You'll lose favor in workplaces maybe even. How much do you actually trust God that no matter how much the offer comes in that seems reasonable to you, I am not giving up. I'm not trading in my inheritance. Ephesians 1, 9 through 11. God has now revealed to us his, his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. This is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring together, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on the earth. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance. He makes everything work out according to his plan. You see, God chose you in advance, and he says, I will make all things work according to what I made you in and chose you in before you got passions that led you astray. And in the original plan, God gave you things that you did not deserve for one purpose. Walk out a predestined, predetermined will. When he made you, he said, I made you for this. That's why I get sick and tired of people asking, well, what about me? What about my wants? What about my desires? If you would start crucifying them, you'd have a lot less issues, a lot less problems, a lot less arguments, and people might like being around you. Oh, is that too much? At some point, I give it up for what God wants for me. And the things that God has for you is called an inheritance as a son or daughter of the living God. But you'll forfeit that inheritance, the things that are meant to bring you into your destiny, bring you into your purpose, do great things in the kingdom of God. You'll forfeit it when you make trades for reasonable deals with the enemy or with your fallen flesh. And when you stand for inheritance, let me just tell you, spirits and principalities don't like it. And don't be mistaken, when you make a stand, it does merit a response. Watch this, 1 Kings 21, 4 through 7. So Ahab went home angry and sullen. Remember what sullen is. He's pouting because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall, refused to eat, just like a toddler. Can y'all imagine that? Just like, right? <laughs> What's the matter, his wife Jezebel, at there she is again. What's the matter, baby? What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused. Ahab told her. This is how you're supposed to read scripture, y'all. <laughs> Are you the king of Israel or not? Jezebel demanded. Get up. Eat something. Don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. Look at Ahab's character. He's spineless. He's pouting. He's upset. The funny thing is, if you research it, Ahab owned about 85% of the land of Israel. And he's pouting over Naboth not giving him a vegetable garden. Not only is he spineless and he's pouty, but he's greedy. And the spirit that's on Jezebel 
And for those of you that miss this, I want to explain, because you need to understand that. We always say Jezebel's spirit. It's a spirit that was, manip- that was had influence on Jezebel, and Jezebel came into agreement with the spirit. And we saw that the same spirit was talking to Benadab. They said the exact same thing. May you die tomorrow if our way don't get made. I think sometimes we only say Jezebel's spirit and there are a bunch of other spirits that you don't have command or authority over because you limit it to one name. The spirit ain't Jezebel. Jezebel is a woman influenced by a spirit. Get your stuff right. And if you don't agree, find somewhere else to go. All right. <laughs> the spirit on Jezebel... I'm in a mood, loves to manipulate spineless, pouty, and greedy people with authority. Because it does not want you to possess what God gave you. And let me tell you, if you're a son or daughter of God, you've got some level of authority. Don't think that a spirit trying to manipulate people only comes at leadership. Because everyone's a leader in some degree. Whether or not you're walking in that is up to you. But see, spirits are all about territory and rule. Are y'all following me? Okay. But if, if you rule over something, it wants to destroy you to get your stuff that you rule. So what a spirit does, it starts to look for people who think like it does. The spirit got agreement with Jezebel. The spirit got agreement with Benadab. Jezebel speaks to Ahab. I'll get it for you. You just keep doing nothing and you sit in your authority. You see, people being manipulated by something like a Jezebel type of spirit, they think they're in authority, but they're being played like a puppet. And if you notice, Ahab doesn't, he doesn't see it because Jezebel is just getting him what he wants. Because he's thinking like her. Take it from the people of God. People being manipulated by a spirit that's on Jezebel, they begin to think they're justified because the spirit plays off of your selfish desires. So when the spirit gets you to agree because you're walking in selfish desires, you justify it by the fact that, well, this is what I want, so it must be God, but you've never gone through the process of crucifying your wants and desires to make sure that your wants and desires are ones that God wants for you. Is this making sense? So we start to justify things in our mind. This must be God. So we sit and we justify it, And before you know it, something has taken every bit of everything because you think it's God-like. That's why a fruit of the sinful nature is revealed in Galatians 5 as a selfish desire. Because you should never feed a desire not given to you by God. Spirits feed off that stuff. They start whispering things, oh, you want that? Exactly what happened to Ahab. Oh, you want that garden? We'll, I'll get you that garden. You just sit there and you keep pouting. Well, how do I know if my desire is selfish or not? Is, are y'all? Okay. Mark 9, 35. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be a servant of everyone else. Everything about you should be focused on serving others before yourself. 
And if you find that, you're doing, that what you're doing is serving yourself, you better check your ambitions to make sure they're either selfish or selfless. There's nothing wrong with creating things for you, like creating wealth. But the Bible actually says the proper way to create wealth is an inheritance that goes on to your children's and children's children not to be squandered. But we as Americans, we have this wired thought process of, I want to build and accumulate for me. And you'll do whatever you can, step over anyone you must to get what you want for you. Well, the Bible says, no desire should ever be about you. And when you're building wealth for yourself, the wealth shouldn't even be about you. It does generations no good for you to be rich if it's gone when you die. You see, being rich is not the issue. It's why you got rich is the issue. What is your wealth laid up for? And you can define wealth by money. You can define it by your talent. You can define it by the authority you have. If I'm meant to lead people and I haven't gotten people to the place where they can fight demons and win battles without me being there, I haven't done much with my blessing of being able to teach. It shouldn't be to motivate you and encourage you. It's to train you and equip you. Is this making sense? If God gives you an ability to play an instrument, it shouldn't be so that you can come up here and play and sing. While doing that, multiply the gift as an inheritance. Mothers and fathers, stop making decisions for you. Make decisions for the generations to come that you have started. That's why there's generational curses that you are called to break. And you don't break curses by your kids watching how not to live, and then you just say, as long as they don't, I'm good. You've got to set an example to break a curse. You can't just speak break the curse. Everything is about the inheritance you're leaving, what's been given to you so that you can be a servant to all and be last. Gosh, all quiet. Okay. Hmm. You see, you have an inheritance to serve God's purpose, which lines up with serving others. Well, you say, well, but I've got needs too. How's my wants? How's my desire? How, how am, how's my stuff going to be met? God says, well, you be all about them and just know this I'm all about you. I'm going to provide your needs. I'm going to give you desires. If you'll be about serving others, I'll take care of what you think you're trying to get out of others. See, that's, that's where the church has got it wrong. Can I, can I, because what we've done in the church is we've created these positions to let me get you to serve my vision. Let me get you to serve my purpose. That's not how it's supposed to be. The Bible says apostles and prophets are the foundations. It's like in a house, you got a foundation, and you build upon it, and guess what you never see? Yet look at what the church does. We have 
these celebrity pastors, celebrity, great gifts, but it's not meant to make them celebrity. It's meant for them to multiply. Well, that's what the church has become. It's let's get the people to serve the vision of the pastor. What, what the lead pastor should be doing is I want to see you come alive in what vision God has put on your life. So I'm going to set up things and structures and find people to help grow you so you can walk into your destiny, even if that means you walk out of the doors of this house. Because again, it's all about keep the people inside. But what if some people are meant to go? And they'll never know it because you govern trying to keep them We've got to get this in mind that we have to stand for inheritance for generations to come, for those beneath you, for those besides you, for those around you, helping people find what is your purpose and how can I help make that happen knowing that my God is going to take care of me walking into what I'm designed for. So in 1 Kings 21.8, it says, remember she says, hey, Ahab, I'm going to get you garden. It says, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name. Sealed them with a seal. Sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. You ever hear people do this thing? Well, well, so-and-so said. And you take their word for it, even if it don't seem like their character. You see, spirits have no authority, so they operate under someone else's name. That's why we refer to it as a Jezebel spirit. It don't have a name. It has to get the name of someone in authority. Spirits have no authority. And that's what Jezebel's doing. I have no authority, but I've got it if I can do this under Ahab's name and Ahab's seal. They didn't think the letters came from Jezebel. They thought the letters came from who? Ahab. You see, this is why it's so important to have great character as a man or woman of God. The people believed that this came from Ahab because when Ahab started making these requests, it didn't seem too far off from Ahab's wicked character. So when they got all these letters demanding stuff, they were like, yeah, it sounds like him. Your character should be so well that if someone makes an accusation about something you said or something you did, something in you says, wait a minute. That's the importance of great character. That's, you're not walking in great character to earn salvation. You're walking in great character so that no spirits have any room to try to get authority to operate under your name. I hope this is making sense. Okay. So in her letters, verse 9, she commanded, Call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor. And then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the other town leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letters. There is serving in honor to authority, but you should never submit to something that God is not for. The elders of the land just used wisdom in the last chapter. They're like, hey, you, gotta, you can't give in to Benadab's request. But this time, they're following Jezebel's orders, not knowing it's Jezebel's. They didn't even question it, not knowing it was her. And look at the manipulation. They, she was setting Naboth at the place. That, that's bad. 
That was a loogie that just blah. A demon just got cast out or something. So keep my foot there for a while. Oh, gosh. Glad we don't live stream. Look at <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm glad y'all love me. All right. Look at the manipulation. <laughs> How do you recover from that? They set Naboth at the place of highest honor. Y'all better stop laughing. Look here. They set Naboth at the place of highest honor to destroy him. Perhaps that's why God is so always telling us be humble. Be be because maybe some of some of, maybe some of Naboth's weakness is that when he got called to the place of higher, highest honor, Naboth wasn't perfect. Maybe he was just like, oh, awesome, I'm finally getting recognized. Maybe that's why God is so on, be humble. Taking the last seat, not getting to the head of the table. They were manipulating something so seemingly innocent. You got to watch out for evil people who try to honor you when you know they're wanting what you got or what you have authority over. In verse 12 it says, they call for the fast, they put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. The two scoundrels, they came and sat down across from him, and they accused Naboth before all the people. He cursed God, and he cursed the king. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. Naboth was completely innocent, and he was accused of cursing God and the king. Sounds kind of familiar to how someone that I know named Jesus was accused of blasphemy against God and rebellion against the king. You see how spirits are working all throughout? Let me find some people I can get to agree with. And with Jesus, the people that agreed with the spirit were the Pharisees, the, the, the church people, and the rest of the town followed. With Naboth, it was the elders of the land. You see, no one's untouchable. No one's untouchable. I don't care how long you've been serving in ministry or how long you've been a Christian. No one's untouchable. And if you think you are, your weakness has just been revealed because you need to humble yourself. Because if you don't, someone's going to look at your pride and put you at the highest seat on the table and take everything you got. No one's untouchable. That's why God says take every thought captive and teach the thought to obey Christ. Amen? Take every thought you've got and make sure that that thought is under obedience. If it's not, do not come into agreement with it. Naboth was stoned to death over a vegetable garden, y'all. And remember what Ahab said? He offered him either money or a what? A better one. So it wasn't even a great vegetable garden. Ahab was just lazy. It was right next to him. You see, selfish desires, it don't even have to be a big thing that you've got for a spirit to work in someone who's jealous of what you have. And, and we get in this idea that, well, the enemy don't want to use me to, or the enemy don't want to get involved with me. Maybe you undervalue what God has actually put you in authority over. And you never walk out of it 
because you don't start managing that area unto God. If all you've got is the authority over a hamburger on a grill at McDonald's, make sure that every burger you flip is the best burger that anyone ever put in their mouth. If you don't, you ain't going to get a job at Ruth's Chris. You understand what I'm saying? No matter where you're at, manage it well. Whether you're at the bottom or the top, manage it well. James 3.16, wherever there, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder and evil of every kind. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, selfish desires. And just to let you know how evil this was, in 2 Kings, it actually talks about how it wasn't just Naboth who got killed. It was Naboth and his sons. Well, why do they want to kill the sons? In inheritance. Think about it. Have you ever seen a pastor fall? And all the ones who were under the pastor and held him in high honor, when he fell, they just left the church and just gave up on God? You ever seen that? Because the spirit is not just after the pastor. What is it after? Inheritance. And the sons and the daughters. I have people that pray for me. You know why? You want to know why? Because if something's coming after me, it ain't just after me. So if you want to protect you, if you consider this your house, you better be in prayer for this. Every day. I got problems. I'm just kidding. I'm righteous. You want to know why the enemy works for your kids? Inheritance. The enemy doesn't want anything passed down or to continue. Everyone is talking about this next generation right now in high school, middle school. Like I, I was having a conversation with someone last week about how, like now you go into a class, if you say, like, like the wrong gender, they get upset. This is, this is like in high school. That was never even a thought when I was in high school. But now it creates so much divide. And it just shows you how much this next generation, how much God is not in the upbringing. Baal is and Asherah is and every other God is. The God of get what you want and, 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 and be selfish about it and, and the God of, you know, everything but. And we think, well, we're good. What's wrong with them? The inheritance is trying to stop it. Again, that's why he, the, the Bible talks about generational curses. It's not just about you. It's what's passed down from you. I think if we can just understand the idea of sacrificing selfishness, we'll get this idea of standing for inheritance. It's not just about for today. It's for what's going to be passed on, for what we're raising up. I speak to my nephew all the time because he says, and he's seven, he says, I want to be a pastor. And this is a little bit of a funny thing, but I've been in so many churches 
where when kids will say that, usually people cut up and say, no, you don't. Y- y- y'all been there, right? Y- but why are you speaking against that young one's dreams? Why are you audibly, why are you audibly, automatically making something like pastoring or leading or any sort of spiritual thing such a bad idea? If it's in them, guess what? They are probably in the most innocent place, and if they've got a desire that good, it's probably from the Almighty. So just stop coming into disagreement and just start feeding that thing. When I hear things like, I want to pray, I'll say, you praying tonight. We've got to start speaking into the next generation. And one could even make an argument that like, we're all of the same generation. That's a whole different teaching, but well, one can make an argument that we're all the same generation, so what we need to be pouring into each other to raise up mighty men and women of God, not just under us, but beside us and above us and all around us, because everyone's got some sort of authority and an inheritance to leave before they die. We, churches are so quick to say, let's get the 22-year-old who we can mend and mold. But what about the 85-year-old who just found God and they have an incredible testimony and if all they've got is a few more years, let them manage great for a few more years under your stewardship. Hmm. Watch what happens in verse 15. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, you know the vineyard Nathoth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. You see, technically, who could have claimed the property? The sons were dead, but there was more family. The family could have claimed the property. But Ahab went immediately. And the only reason Ahab, this is just a little history lesson, the only reason Ahab was able to, to claim the property the king could claim a property if the person who was, who was dead was charged with a criminal's death. Do you see how crafty Jezebel was? It wasn't just let's get him killed. It was let's put him in a position to be manipulated so that people could charge him with a crime he never committed. That spirit will manipulate the whole thing to make evil things seem justified that's why we need people seeking God who will stand for inheritance because no matter what the enemy does or what or what ground he gains if it's God's we've got to stand up and say it is God's no more treaties no more uh, uh, kind of well we can make an exception here and there no 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 if it's not God's don't come into agreement with it no matter what you're feeling, no matter what your heart's telling you, no matter what you want, sacrifice all that and line everything you've got up with this. If it ain't lined up with this, let me just break uh, your, your little bubble. You're being influenced by demonic activity and spirits. If you have a desire that's not in line with this, the Bible said in Galatians 5 that that is the desires of the evil, sinful nature. And you cannot justify it anymore. So Ahab is going to claim this land. In verse 17, the Lord said to Elijah, Go down and meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. <laughs> That's a big one. The last time Elijah saw Ahab was a little run down from the mountain. 
He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. <clears throat> Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you've done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Naboth. Dang, God. See, as Ahab ran to the vineyard to claim it, God sends Elijah to the place as well. Which lets you know something. Elijah's not scared anymore. He's been totally restored back to that bold dude in the name of God. And let me just speak to that for a second. Don't think that because you fell into the hands of fear that you can't get back into alignment for God to do what he's going to do. Because that's what we do. Well, I fell yesterday, and I was scared, and God can't use me. Actually, he wants to use you 10 days ago, but you've been letting a bad decision direct you instead of crucifying that thing that's been talking to you and saying, God, what you want. Elijah didn't have to go through 15 years of restoration. He had a few conversations on about a 40-day journey. Elijah's ready for God's commands and did what few had the courage to do. He confronted the evil, immoral king and queen of Israel. Because did you notice what Elijah said? He said the prophet, char the, 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 Elijah charged him with the wrong death of Naboth and robbing a dead man. Which shows us something. He charged Ahab, not Jezebel. The God told the prophet Elijah, you're going to charge Ahab with doing all that. Even though God knew Jezebel was the one manipulating. A spirit may be at work, but you are the one held responsible for your agreement. And we love to blame spirits. Oh, a demon got them or a spirit got them. You are the one held accountable, not the demon. And if you don't think you can be held accountable, you need to wake up to the idea that you have the power by the Holy Spirit to speak to any desire and say, it's not going to be in this temple. I'm not having it up in here. I'm not trading my inheritance for what you're trying to tell me. And look at what Elijah speaks. He says, you're going to die in Jezreel, the same place you killed an innocent man. So look at Ahab's response, verse 20. So, my enemy, you found me. Ahab ex exclaimed to Elijah. Yeah, Elijah answered. I have come because you've sold yourself to what's evil in the Lord's sight. When you stand for inheritance, someone's going to receive you as a friend or they're going to receive you as an enemy. You see what just happened here? Ahab was standing in the name of evil. And when the man of God came, enemy. When it could have been a complete turnaround with humility and submission and repentance. You can't expect to lose, you can't expect to lose people when you take a stand for what's right. But also, because think about it, if you start to take a stand and God, I have an inheritance, I can't give up on what God has given me, I can't trade in what God has asked me to do, you might lose people. Because they'll start to look at you as an enemy, as a backstabber. I thought we were friends. I thought we were close. You don't never call me anymore. And really, you know that you ain't calling me anymore because you're trying to make some healthy boundaries to separate you from a life you don't want to go into anymore. 
Here's the great thing. You're going to be feeling alone for a while. But God says, you don't pursue replacements. I will give you what you need. Isn't it funny how when we pursue God, we'll lose friendships and lose relationships and the place we should go where God's going to provide them? No one connects outside of a worship gathering? God, send me friends. God, Kyle, you don't know how my family is. My family's horrible. I need a better one. You come to group? No, I'm too depressed. I'm too worried. I, I don't, I've had a bad week. Gosh, what could help with a bad week being around God-pursuing people? It's like a dub moment, but no one gets it. <laughs> Do you hear the frustration? God's like, I've given you the answers, but you're looking in all the wrong places. Because we're still not thinking about what God's put in us. We're thinking about what we want and how we want it to look and how we think it should go. Look at God's response to Elijah. Verse 21. The Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I'm going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, and the family of Basha, son of Ahisha, for you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, God says, dog's going to eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. See, some of y'all want word from the Lord, but now y'all rethinking. <laughs> the members of Ahab's family who will die in the city will be eaten by dogs. And those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. God says, you've led my nation into sin. You try to take what I've given to my people. So now I'm not, going to, I'm not just going to get you. I'm getting you and your inheritance, your family, your kid, everything. I'm going to destroy you, your family, your descendants, your wife. Funny, Ahab got all this from just a measly little vegetable garden. Why? Because the garden was never for him. That wasn't God's will for him to possess that. And we have to make sure that everything that we're trying to possess is that God wills for you to possess it. If he doesn't want you to have it, stop turning your wheels. Stop trying to get things you were never meant to get. Verse 25. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. See, Ahab completely sold himself to sin and evil, even through the influence of Jezebel. But see, you can't blame the devil and the demon when you're the one that came into agreement with it. It actually reminds me a lot of about what God said to Adam when Adam made a bad decision under Eve's poor decision. Because we love to, you know, well, the, that woman made him do it, right? But Adam was held accountable, not for what Eve did, but for what Adam did. Look at Genesis 3.17. 
to the man, God said, since you listened to your wife. That's a little nugget for some of you to use tonight. (laughs) Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. Not because of Eve, because of who? Adam. All your life, Adam, you're going to struggle to scratch a living from it. It wasn't cursed because of Eve. The ground was cursed because of Adam's agreement, which forfeited his inheritance as authority over the ground. And guess what? When he forfeited his inheritance as authority over the ground, it went through all generations to come, and we're still dealing with the loss of that inheritance. So at some point, you got to stand for it. At some point, you go, I'm not making any more trades. I don't care if I want this, if God don't want it for me. Even if I'm miserable, I'm going to stand my ground and crucify my wants and deal with the misery. I'm going to position myself because if I will just go through this, my desires will change. Not because I want new desires, but because if I'm pursuing God, he will give me new desires because in your pursuit, you are being restored to the original position of what you originally were supposed to desire. 26 of 1 Kings 21. Ahab's worst outrage was worshiping idols just as the Amorites had done. The people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. Why is that significant? Well, the Amorites were cast out of Canaan because they continued rejected God. He says, Ahab, you in the same place and your kingdom is getting cast out. And after all this, we see a big plot twist that ends the entire chapter. Look at verse 27. <clears throat> but when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, he dressed in burlap, and he fasted. Just think about that for a second. He didn't go pout. Passed two times and said he left angry and he was pouting. This time, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and he fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he's done this, I won't do what I promised during his lifetime. It's going to happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. See, God didn't go back on what he said. You forfeited your inheritance. You forfeited your kingdom. It's going to get taken. But all the stuff that I said, I'm not going to do it when I said it anymore. Well, you can't move God. You know how you can? Repentance. Now, Ahab was eventually going to go back to his old ways. Because remember earlier when Elijah prophesied and said, you're going to die in in Jezreel? Well, actually, about three years from now, Ahab ends up dying in Samaria. But you see, Ahab's humility and repentance shifted what God was going to do from carrying it out in his lifetime when he actually carried it out in Ahab's son. And in the next chapter, Ahab goes back to his old ways And he gets killed, spoiler alert. But in this moment, 
God honored Ahab's initiative of humility and repentance, if only for a moment. You see, the reason God gave a prophecy of this judgment through Elijah to Ahab, because God said, I'm still going to give you an, invita an invitation to turn from your ways once again. That's how merciful and good our God is. Ahab didn't deserve that. And this whole time we're thinking, gosh, Ahab's a horrible person and he's worshipped these idols and he's, he's, he's worshipped these gods and he's going against God's ways. And Are we really all that different even in the church sometimes? If, if you remember, it said that his greatest evil was worshipping idols. I, I, I think the church has been guilty of that greatest evil at times. Not willing to give up things because of what you idolize. Not going in full pursuit of God because you want to protect all that you've built. But what if all you built had nothing to do with God, what God originally pictured for you when he predestined you and formed you in your mother's womb, before you were in your mother's womb? What if he had a whole different picture and you leaving it was going to get you into the right one, but you won't because you idolize what you built, not pursuing what God wants for you? I remember... I got this full scholarship to UGA. Some of you may not like that school, but it was a big deal for me. Family wasn't in college. Family didn't go to school, and I had a full ride that would lasted pre-med and med, long time. I, 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 was, I was on the way to have it set up for me. But I'm so thankful that two years into that, God said, leave it all behind. I didn't have the support of my parents. Definitely didn't have the support of the scholarship people who... They could have given it to anyone. They chose one person that year, and they chose me. I don't know why. I'm kind of smart. <laughs> and I gave it all up to start a youth pastor job making 14 grand a year when 90% of the job was cutting grass and trimming hedges. But I learned so much about giving up what you're trying to build and pursuing what I want you to build. Ahab was full of evil and sin, but even the worst sinner is not disqualified from God's mercy. True repentance. You see, true repentance is completely changing the way and never going back. But God knew Ahab's heart. Ahab messed it all up. He still had to live out what God put on him just a little differently. You need to understand that everything you do affects your inheritance. Repentance or not, it affects generations after you. True repentance is a true start to redeeming your inheritance. At some point, we've got to stand for the inheritance. Not going to allow the enemy to take anything. Not going to surrender Another thing, we're not going to surrender our marriages. We're not going to surrender our, we've got to surrender everything. Surrendering marriages for God, not giving up on them. Surrendering addictions and saying, God, what do you want me addicted to? It's called listening. What do I need to surrender so that God will give me new things? You ever think that maybe God can't give you new desires because you have no room for them? God, fill me up. I ain't got no room. God, fill me up. I want to see your power in my life. Okay, give up this. But, but God, 
We've got to fight for the next generations to receive it. We've got to become a people who will never bow down and let God have his way for generations and generations to come. We've got to stop standing for what we want and start standing for the inheritance that God has placed on us, walking out the plans that God has for us, seeking him, and finding our purpose. God has something for each and every one of you in this room. And that's not just a casual statement. That's not just something to encourage you. He has purpose in everything. If you'll seek him and walk in the path that he, even if you have not been walking in the path, he says, I, I, I can order all your steps. I just need you to seek me. I just need you to seek me. It's not too late to tap into what God planned for you. Never. It might take a little bit of a relentless attitude. Like I'm, I'm willing to lose everything. Jesus was accused of all the wrong stuff. And he died a death that he should not have had to die. Because he was innocent. But because he stood for what was going to be passed down from an un worthy death he said I'll, I'll die for that cause and he willingly went to the cross and died because he knew not just what would happen to him three days later but the implications of what that would mean for generations to come I see I, I think we need to understand that about the cross and Jesus and the death and resurrection it wasn't a cool thing to get people to believe in him People believed in him before he even had to die. They kind of went backwards a little bit. But really what it was about is he was saying, I'm doing this for, for people that I haven't even in the flesh met yet. There's an inheritance that's been forfeited and I want to build my church so they'll get it. But why isn't God coming back? Why hasn't God sent Jesus back? It's getting bad. You want to know why it's getting bad? Because no one's standing for what you should be walking in. We always put it on God. God, come back so that we can have a better life. God, come back so that you can get glorified. And God's like, I've given you everything you need to glorify me. I have given you everything you need to stand your ground. Do it. I know that Jesus is coming back. I know that full restoration is coming. I'm glad for that. But if my Bible tells me not to fix my eyes on the clouds and watch for him, then I'm not going to spend hours reading revelations about the return because that's fixing your eyes on the flipping clouds. You want to talk about wasting inheritance? Stop wasting your time reading about the end times when you're not really supposed to know about when they're coming. That's why the Bible just tells you about the first signs of it. Focus on what you should be walking in so that it's passed down everywhere and will gain background for the glory of God and stand for the inheritance that you should be inheriting as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Amen.